I'm competing with cheeseburgers uh, and everything else tonight, but it's great to be with you guys. Uh, love Pastor Gabe and Amanda and love what God's doing here at Impact Church. Uh, some of you guys are familiar with me, but I, I head up a ministry called Partnership Ministries, and we create partnerships with local churches uh, to uh, advance the gospel. And, and we, I'm on the board of several churches. Uh, I do a lot of missions work. I speak in a lot of conferences. I have a book coming out the uh, first part of next year, so this is kind of what I do. But Pastor Gabe and I have known each other for a while, and we just consider it a real privilege to uh, be involved with what we think is going to be one of the great churches in Texas. Amen? Yeah. Amen. I think God's going to do some wonderful things. I'm excited about your building or your stack of bricks over there. <laughs> <laughs> I should say. He kept telling me they, they gutted it, and I was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting like they removed the light fixtures or something. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a pile of bricks, basically. But, uh, but man, it's, it's neat. You know, all over the country, they are renovating downtowns. If you, if you head to Denver, like, there's no downtown because they have literally fixed it all up. So I think this area is going to look a lot different in the next 10 years. And, and how do you think God could just set you up for that? Amen. So I, I want to spend a few minutes tonight just talking to you about the importance of growth. And I, I've been doing kind of an organic uh, talk on growth to leaders here lately, and I want to share some of it with you tonight. Uh, I, I believe that the future of your church depends on the growth of the leaders. I also believe that your future depends on your growth. If you're not growing, then you're not going to be going where God wants you to go. Amen? I mean, you know, that we grow into our destinies. The, the reason why I get to do a lot of the things that I get to do, I believe, is because God grew me up in my faith, and he's grown me into what he's called me to do. So I want to call some growth out of you tonight. When it comes to growth, I, even among leadership teams like this, to a certain extent, because you've signed up to be a leader, you probably know that some growth is going to be expected of you, that you, you can't just do whatever you want, right? Your life is not just about yourself, but it, it matters. So whether or not you mature in your faith matters. But uh, even among leaders, sometimes it can be looked at like growth is the responsibility of someone else. Now, I, I don't know the names of everybody he just mentioned, but you could say, well, you know, our worship leader, Man, she's got to be growing. Or Pastor Gabe, you know, man, he's got to grow. He's got to have a word from God every week. And Doug, you know, doing what you do, you probably got to grow. But no, no, no. How many of you know you got to grow, right? If you're not growing, if you're not participating, well, then the church is never going to be what it's supposed to be. And, and, and there's a really big difference between participation and observation when it comes to growth, right? I, I am an observer of many things that I don't participate in. Let me give you some examples, right? Uh, one, of, one of my partner churches is in Richmond, Virginia, which is kind of the home of NASCAR. So I've had a chance to go to some of the races, but I'm not a fan uh, because to me it, it gets boring, right? They're just going around the track and that's the deal. So when I'm at a NASCAR race, anybody want to guess what I'm cheering for? I'm cheering for a crash, right? Because if a crash happens, then it makes my world exciting, right? Now I'm not participating, I'm just observing and so when you're observing instead of participating, you start cheering for the wrong stuff, right? right. I, I, I'll give you another example, like hockey. I'm not a big fan of hockey. So when I go to a hockey game, I'm cheering for a fight. That's right. Because if there's a fight, it makes my world better. I don't care if somebody gets their jaw broke, just as long as I'm being entertained. Any, anybody know, like, the, uh, what is that, the alligator hunter show, the uh, swamp people, right? 
when that first came out, I was a real fan of it. I watched it. But after a while, I had to stop watching it because I started cheering for the alligators. <laughs> and, and the reason why was because it was always the same, right? This guy's about to get his arm bit off, and then they go to commercial. And I, and I wait the four minutes or whatever because I'm going to get to see a guy get his arm bit off. And then it gets back, and the alligator dies. And so I'm like, just one time, man, just one time. I want the alligator to win. And I started cheering for the wrong stuff. I, I, I'll, just do, I'll just do one more. <laughs> Uh, uh, and I'm embarrassed about this one, to be honest with you, but I live in the Midwest, so we kind of deal with tornadoes, but we don't deal with hurricanes. Hur I've never been in a hurricane. I'm an observer, not a participator, right? So uh, whenever I'm watching a hurricane, in fact, you give me some good hurricane coverage and like a bowl of popcorn. Is there anybody else out there other than me? I don't know, but I can, I can just get in. But the other day I noticed that, like I was watching the one that was coming on the East Coast, and it was a five, and I got disappointed when they downgraded it. Because <laughs> I was like, I thought this was going to be good, you know, and I'm, I'm watching. And, and, and now there's people, I, I mean, I'm serious, people are dying, and I'm over there with my popcorn, like cheering. It's because whenever you're not participating, especially if you're in church leadership, if you're just kind of serving or you're here for the free burgers or whatever, uh, instead of here for the right reasons, if you're not careful, you'll be in the fight. It looks like you're in the fight, but you're not, right? It looks like you're on the team, but you're really, you're cheering for the wrong thing. You don't have the same spirit. One, I, I pastored a church, and I can tell you one of the things I loved was when I felt like somebody was in the trenches with me, that they cared as much as I cared, that they were growing as much as I wanted to grow, right? Here's what I've discovered is observation, it creates critics, right? But participation creates warriors. So if you're participating, if you're in the fight, if you're growing, well, then it, it, it's really going to matter. And, and, and listen, most people are enthusiastic about things that don't really matter. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I deer hunt in the fall, and I love football and all that, but that is not the only thing I have going on in my life. I'm enthusiastic, but I'm enthusiastic about things that actually matter. The Bible, the Bible tells us, uh, 1 Timothy 6.12, that we should fight the good fight. Well, to be in the fight, well, we got to be in the fight, right, to be able to fight the good fight. Paul talked about not beating as if you're fighting the air, but actually having purpose. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, he used this analogy. I thought it was funny. He said, uh, he's talking about football, and he said, football is 22 people badly in need of rest being washed by 70,000 people badly in need of exercise. <laughs> that's a really good analogy. And I, I just kind of, that's kind of what church leadership is like. Something you go, man. I mean, add 10 more hours to your week, pastor. You know, I mean, we're cheering for them. But are we on the field with them? Are we fighting? Are we just fans, you know? Because I, especially a church that's taken off like yours, yours has, I mean, sometimes people can be there, but they're really not in the fight. Most people are not growing. And so you got to put down the popcorn. you got to get in the game, amen, and, and, and start being in the fight. Now, now, now listen, if, 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 here's something just real simple. If you want to go high, then you got to grow deep, right? Uh, one of the places we do a lot of missions work is, is in New York, in the Bronx. And they have big skyscrapers there. Now, I, I've never built a skyscraper, but I know this much. The higher you go, the deeper you have to go, right? If you're going to go up a thousand floors, well, then you've got to have a big, deep foundation. 
How many of you believe that God wants to take Impact Church higher? Amen? Amen. So if we're going to go high, well, then we've got to grow deep, right? But the problem is, and let's get down to nitty-gritty, what it comes down to is most of us have unaddressed areas in our lives that we're not growing in. And here's the sad part. We don't have any plans to grow in that area. I'll just give you an example. Uh, probably about, uh, it was about 10, maybe, maybe even 12 years ago or so. At this time in my ministry, I don't do a lot of them now, but back then a lot of churches were doing revivals. And uh, it always kind of wore me out because it was like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. And well, anyway, there's a church up in northern Missouri that asked me to do one. And I went and, and I was there Sunday morning through Wednesday night. And I finished up Wednesday night and I was only about three hours from my house. And so I thought, man, I'm going to drive home. I don't want to stay here another night. And, and the three things that every guest speaker, every evangelist wants to happen, happen. Uh, the pastor complimented me a whole bunch on the week. Told me, told me he felt like it was the best anybody had ever done at his church. Uh, two is he booked me for the event next year. And three, he gave me a really good-sized check. And I thought, man, you are checking the boxes, buddy, right? So it's time for me to go home. Well, I walked out of the pastor's office about 10 o'clock at night, and, and, we're, and, he, and, he, and he's just tracking me, right? He's following me to my car. I don't know what's wrong. And, 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 he, and he's kind of kicking the rocks. He just he acts like he wants to tell me something. And I'm thinking, we're done, man. You've complimented me, rebooked me, give me a check. That's it. I'm going home, right? And, he, and, and finally, I, he just wouldn't let me leave. And, and so I, I said to the pastor, I said, I said man, I, I want you to know that you're like a spiritual dad to me. I said, you can tell me anything you want. I said, I said speak. Go ahead, man. Tell me, what, tell me what's on your heart. And, and then I wished I had. So he looked at me, and all of a sudden it went from like this crazy favor to he got really confrontational really quick. And, and, and all of a sudden, he pointed his finger at me. And again, it's like 10 o'clock at night in a parking lot. He points his finger at me, and he said, he said, I saw what you did this week. And I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. What, what, what do you mean? What did I do? And he goes, nobody else noticed it, but I saw it. And I was like, what did I do? He said, you did it every night. And I was like, pastor, I said, what, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? And he said, well... He said, every night when you were speaking, he said, by the way, he said, you were probably the best we've ever had at our church. He goes, you did a great job. But he goes, every night you would do two things. He said, one is you would apologize, kind of, he said, it looked like humility, but it wasn't. He said, you would sort of like half apologize to the audience about what you were saying. And secondly, you would, in a subtle way, you would ask us all to like you. And he said, and he's being like super confrontational. He's like pointing and, you know, raising his voice. And he said, he said, and it was unnecessary. That's what he said. And I, and, I, and I said, well, I don't even recall doing that. But he said, he said, no, you did it. And he said, you know what that is? And I said, what? He said, it's not humility. He said, you play like it is, but it's not. He said, he said, it's insecurity. That's what it is. And he, and he, and he said it like it was like, it was like he was talking about something poisonous that he hated. He's like, it was insecurity like that. And, and, and then he got right in my face and he said, I see God doing great things in your ministry. But he said, it's not going to happen unless you deal with this insecurity. And he said it like that again. And he said, but you're keeping it around like it's a pet. That's what he said. Wow. And then, and then he, then, he, then he got really bad. He said, he said, uh, he said, you know what you are? 
And I, at this point, I'm starting to like, like, are we going to throw down? Are we going to do this? You know, like right now, here on the parking lot. I mean, all right, it's on. You know, I mean, I didn't want to do it, but <clears throat> he said, he said, you know what you are? And I said, what? He said, you're a 98 percent. That's what he said. Now, you might not know what that means, but I, if you if you've heard me speak before, you know I live in illustrations. I mean, I I am the king of illustrations. So right away I knew what he was saying. He was saying I'm not a hundred percenter, I'm a ninety-eight percenter. And so I didn't know exactly what he was saying, but I knew that the illustration wasn't in my favor. <laughs> and so I, I looked at him and I said, I said, sir, I, I, I'm being respectful, but but I said I am a hundred percenter. I don't be calling me a ninety-eight. I am a hundred and ten percenter. You have never met somebody that is more of a hundred percenter than me. <laughs> I'm committed to Jesus, to the cause of Christ. I, I'm committed. He said, no. He goes, no, no, no. He said, you've grown most of the way. But he said, you've kept this insecurity, and it's like the last 2%. And he said, you haven't even close to giving that to God. Well, at that point, I thought, we're either going to fist fight or I'm going to leave. <laughs> and so I, I said, well, thank you very much, and I'll, I'll consider that. And I, I got in my car, and have you ever, you, ever been, you ever been really mad at somebody, but the Holy Spirit is backing them up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm like, I'm driving home, and I'm like, a stupid pastor. I can't even believe he would talk to me that way. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to tear, tear up this check. Well, I don't get crazy. I'm not going to tear up the check. But I mean, but I, mean I mean, I am upset. I'm going to cash the check, and then I'm going to be upset. And I, and I just, you know, and, and by the time I got home, it was just like, the Lord was speaking to me and saying, he's right, he's right. You haven't even had a plan for this. And, and if you will... I, I can't bless insecurity because it's a form of fear. And the only thing that pleases God is faith. And, 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 and re- literally over the last 10 years, I, I feel like God has taken away that last 2%. In fact, I was in a conference uh, about two weeks ago, and a guy did this big altar call. It was all pastors about pastors who were struggling with insecurity. And, and I didn't even think to go down and, and I was kind of standing there just having this thought, like, am I getting hard to the, you know, like normally I would answer an altar call like that. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you don't need to go down there. You've already went. Why? Because we can grow past our stuff. Amen? Yeah. But, but the truth is, most of us, here it is, most of us, we are maintaining what we should be mastering. We, we are actually, we're actually like taking like pictures and putting it on the walls of our survival shelters. And God's saying, I never called you to live there. I called you to grow out of there. That isn't what I called you to. Amen? See, see, I mean, it's real easy to say, I'm a leader. I want to grow, and I ought to be doing this and all that. But do you even have a plan for your growth? And, and the plan really is pretty simple. It is, it is what needs to go and what needs to grow, right? Because okay, every one of us, we got some stuff that needs to go, and we got some stuff that we need to grow in, Right? And, and, and I know this, that some things in my life, even some relationships, they were kind of like booster rockets to get me to a certain level, but they weren't called to be with me forever. And, and so there's some stuff that you just got to let go because it's ran out of gas and it's just weighing you down. And then there's some other things in your life that you, you really just got to grow. There's really, if you think about it, there's really only two types of growth. There's subtraction growth and addition growth. And most of us, what it is, we always focus on addition things, Right? 
if I only had this, if I was only doing that, you know, then I could grow. And, and we go to the, you know, we go to the bookstore and buy a new journal that we're never going to write in, you know, and things like that. Why? Because because it's tougher to give stuff up and deal with what what should have never been invited into you anyway, than to just say, well, it's all about what I don't have. No, no. And there's opportunities for growth everywhere, isn't there? But we have so many excuses. Uh, I, probably in my own life and ministry, and I, I'll tell you three big stories tonight. I just told you one. In my own life and ministry, uh, probably when I really started discovering how God gives me unexpected opportunities for growth was when I was in high school. I had only been a Christian for about a year, and I became a part of a class uh, that was in my high school called Building Trades. Basically, it doesn't exist now. There are probably lawsuits, but but uh, back then, what it was was you got to leave school about noon, and you got to actually go to a construction site. And over the course of like three or four years, uh, a group of high school students would actually build a house. I don't think I'd want to live in it, but but we would do it. And and. Uh, I, I, my grandfather was a master carpenter. I now, in the missions work we do, it's really good that I have some knowledge. So I, I really wanted to learn. And, and, but most of the guys that took that class, they were just trying to get out of class. In fact, there's about 20 of us, and most of the time, about 15 out of the 20 guys would be high, because they would get high on the way to the job site. And, and I, I, for about six months, had been sharing my faith that had really uh, uh, presented the gospel to this group of guys. And, and we had a teacher. His name was Mr. Waldrop. Mr. Waldruff was, uh, well, he was a good contractor, but he wasn't much of a teacher. Uh, it, it was, he, he was really rough. It wasn't uncommon for him to cuss at us, things, again, that he would have got sued for today. And, and uh, I can remember one day we all had showed up at the job site. And this was like my, my early senior year of my high school. And, and, and uh, Mr. Waldruff comes in, and he's got two big five-gallon buckets of paint. And he lays them down in the middle of this, like, living room. And then he goes back out to his truck, brings in a whole bunch of rollers, paintbrushes. And, and, he, and, he, and he addresses us, and he says to the guys, he said, Hey, uh, this uh, building here, this house... It's got no uh, trim, it's got no light fixtures, it's got no uh, cabinets, and, and it needs its first coat of paint. Since it's not got any trim or anything, you guys should not be able to mess this up. He was underestimating our ability to mess things up. But, but he said, uh, you need to put the first coat of paint on. With a group this size, you guys ought to be able to do it in three or four hours. And he said, so here's all this stuff. i got to go pick up some material. I'll be back in like three hours. Have at it. So he leaves, and I'm thinking, gosh, what's going to happen? And every guy in the whole class started, like, laughing and saying, there's no way we're going to do this. And they all just went over and started smoking pot and playing cards and whatever. So I'm standing there as a Christian, and, and I'm like, what do I do? And, and so I, I don't know. My dad had taught me a good work ethic, so I walked over. I got the brush, and I got the roller, and I got a five-gallon bike. They were all making fun of me, but I went into the back bedroom, and I went at it. Three hours later, I had painted the bathroom and the three back bedrooms by myself, and then I heard his truck pull in the driveway. Well, every guy in the entire class is like grabbing a brush and a roller. They're all going to act like they've been working. And so I walk out into the living room. They all run back into the bedrooms that I painted by myself. And I'm standing there just kind of in a good spot to watch the fireworks. And to be honest with you, in my immaturity, to thinking I could be seen and I would be complimented, and Mr. Waldrop would surely see that I was the only one that had worked. Well, he walked into the house and he, he looked around that big living room and the kitchen and, 
he saw that nothing had been done in that space. And I think it was just because I was the closest target. But instead of cussing out the class, he cussed out me. He yelled at me. I'm pretty sure he called my mom names, to be honest with you. It was bad. I don't know if you've ever been cussed out before. I had never been cussed out at that point in my life, but I've several times since then, but not, not then. And, and uh, I don't know, man. I'm standing there, and all of my, you know, about 18 years of maturity, I've been a Christian for about a year, and uh, I, I just lost it. Uh, the guys are laughing at me from the back room, and I, I pointed at Mr. Waldrop, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I know I called him stupid. I know I said that he was a dumb old man and nobody cared about him. I know I slammed the door. I know I, I know I threw my roller down on the floor. And I walked out. And I got into my car. And you might think at that point, you know, I started to realize what I had done. But actually, I was praying, but not like you think. I was praying like the prayers of David against Mr. Waldruff. I was like, God, I think we should just kill him. But, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I'm your servant, and you saw what just happened. So just, you know... You know, send them off a bridge or something. Nobody will even miss them. I mean, I was, I, I was just, you know, you ever been there before? You just victimized. And, 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 and so I got home. My mom and dad aren't even Christians at the time. And I tell them what has happened, and they don't know what to do. And the next morning I woke up, and all of a sudden my emotions had had a chance to calm down. And, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was getting ready that morning. And he said, he said, see what you've done. You, you, you spent six months sharing your faith with these guys, and now look. And I don't know, I felt so bad, and I'm driving to school, and I called my mom, and I said, hey, Mom, I'm not going to go to school. If that's okay, I'm going to head to the job site. I need to talk to Mr. Waldruff. And I headed over there, and I walked in, and he's, he's sitting uh, behind some little makeshift desk, and, 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 and I'm three hours early. But he, I walk in, and he looks up, and he, and, and he smiles, and he said, huh, I didn't think I'd see you today. And he just kept working like I wasn't even there. So I walked over to his desk, and I'm standing in front of it. He's not even acknowledging me. And I said, I said, sir, could I have a minute of your time? And he, he looked up. He put his pencil down and did one of these. And, and, I, and I said to him, I said, Mr. Walter, if you may not know this, but I'm a Christian. And he smiled, and he said, well, what does that have to do with anything? And I said, well, apparently not much by the way I acted. But I said, sir, I said, I need to apologize to you. I'm really sorry for disrespecting you, and I won't ever do it again. And he looked at me. And he said to me, he said, he said, wow, I didn't expect that. It takes a big man to admit that he's wrong. Now, I went in to apologize, but wrong, that was like a whole other category. I, I thought to myself, you know, overnight, surely he has acknowledged and seen the error of his ways. And, and I sort of had this little fantasy going on. On the way, I thought to myself, I will apologize He'll probably apologize back to me. There might be a candle and some music of some kind. We'll probably hug. I mean, it's going to be beautiful, you know? And, and, and that's not what happened. He said to me, he said, it takes a big man to admit that he's wrong. And then he said, would you like your punishment now or later? And I'm thinking, wrong and now punishment. I have not factored in either one of these things. And all of my immaturity just started rising up again. He starts writing like I'm not even there. And so I'm just standing there wrestling with it for about two or three minutes. And I'm, I'm about to go off on him. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. So I said to Mr. Waldrop, I said, Mr. Waldrop, I said, uh, 
what's my punishment? And he pointed at a big pile of dirt. It was about half the size of the room we're sitting in. It was right outside of the window, and he said to me, he said, uh, he said there's a wheelbarrow and a shovel out back. You may notice that the foundation of this house has not been filled in. He said, you get the wheelbarrow, you get the shovel. When the dirt's in the foundation, your punishment's over. A little bit overkill. And then he just starts working like I'm not even there. Well, the Spirit of God is speaking to me, and I'm struggling, and, and I still remember, it's probably the first time I ever really, really recognized the voice of God. God spoke to my heart, and he said this. He said, do you want to be a victim, or do you want to grow? He just gave me a choice. And I didn't know exactly what it meant. I didn't know that I would tell this story for 30 years. But I looked at Mr. Waldrop and I said, sir, if you don't mind, I'd like to start right away. And I went out back and I got the shovel and I got the wheelbarrow. And my classmates showed up two hours later and made fun of me some more. And, and I was out there for about five days. And I thought he would notice me, but I think he forgot I was there. <clears throat> Took me two and a half weeks to put that pile of dirt into that foundation. And afterwards, he didn't thank me. And nobody even acknowledged that it was done. But in that two and a half weeks, I grew more than I had in my entire walk with God up to that point. Yeah. And I still feel like it's a defining moment in my spiritual life today. Most of us, we're not moving our pile of dirt. Most of us, we're not dealing with our 2% or 5% or 20%, and we don't even have a plan. And listen, you might say, well, Pastor Doug, you know, we came here tonight like to be encouraged and talk about church stuff. Well, well, well listen, if you want to go high, well, then you've got to grow deep. It, 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 you, you know, if we're just here to kind of play around, i got other messages I can share with you, and they're funnier. <laughs> but, but if you want to go high, then you've got to grow deep. But we got so many excuses, don't we? Well, well, the, well, the truth is, and, and truth is, Pastor Doug, you know, it's just that that I, I it, it probably, it probably is the case with some of you tonight because that's part of how impact has grown. You, you might say, well, 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 I, I've been hurt, man, and that's that's why the way that's, that's why I am the way I am. Maybe it's even been by the church, and I, and I don't want to be hard, but again, this is leaders' night. This is not, you know, just some average night. And, and so I would just say to you, if you've been hurt. I mean, I mean, I say with all compassion, but I mean, join the club, right? We, we, we all have been victimized. We've all got our piles of dirt, don't we? But it's leaders who decide that they'll actually move it. Uh, you might say, well, well, Pastor Doug, you just don't get it. You know, I mean, this is, this is like generational in my family. Like, like uh, the Bible talks about iniquity, and iniquity goes for three, four generations. And maybe some of the personality and growth issues that you struggle with, they've been in your family for a long time. But again, join the club. I mean, you know, we've all got generational issues. Uh, or, or the worst one, the one I hate the most, is, is this statement. Well, this is just the way I am, right? It's like my personality. That's usually somebody who's got like an anger issue and they're kind of being a jerk. But instead, they just want to say, well, this is my personality, man. I'm just real. No, you're just kind of jerky. But still, I'm just honest, you know. And, and, and what, what's even worse, and I've seen this with leaders before, is we'll actually have other people start making excuses for us, right? I told you I was going to tell you three big stories. I'm going to read you some scriptures and apply this and we'll be done. Whenever I, uh, when I, I was in probably my late 20s, I was a youth pastor. I was about 26, 27. I was a youth pastor at a church in Montana. 
And uh, I, I, had, I, I had only been a Christian for about seven or eight years, and I started to grow in my ministry. And, and, and I had never been in a board meeting. I didn't even know what a board was. But one day I figured out something. I came across something that I thought would be a solution to the church I was youth pastor at. Our youth ministry had grown to about 200 kids, and we were taking them on trips and conventions and all this stuff. I figured out that that particular church, we were spending $50,000 a year renting buses, renting coach buses and other ones. And, and so I, I looked it up, and I found out that we could buy a good used coach bus for about twenty-five grand. For about another twenty-five grand, we could completely redo it, almost have a new bus. And within about two years, that bus would pay for itself. So I thought it's a great idea. I went to the pastor. He said, put together a proposal. And, and I went over the top, man. I mean, I, I, had, I had binders and, and all kinds of research information and gave them several choices. And about two or three months later, I gave information to the board. About two months after that, I was scheduled to go in this meeting. Never done anything like this before. I think I had on a tie. I mean, it was just dumb. So I go walking into this board meeting, and I do my presentation that I had practiced in the mirror. And I got done, and, and I was expecting for them to clap and give me $50,000. And instead, the room got a little quiet, and then the head board member, a guy named Del Charbonneau, he started pounding like this on the table in front of him. And I'm thinking, is he clapping in joy, or what's going on? And then he picked up my very nice binder, and he threw it on the floor. And I am like, this is not going the way I had hoped. Yeah. And then he looks at me and he pointed at me and he said, uh, he said, you know, you're just like the last youth pastor. Well, the last youth pastor I thought was a bum. I, did, I, I wasn't a fan of that. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, all you youth pastors, you think the church is made of money. Who are you to come in here and ask for $50,000? This is crazy. And he just kind of, you know, was getting loud. And then he, then he got up and he kind of scooted his chair out and he slammed the door and walked out. Well, about then I'm like, you know, dude, you had this information two months in advance. I have permission to be here. I mean, if you want to say no, then fine, but you don't have to act like that. He basically threw a tantrum. This guy is, I'm 26. He's probably 63 at this time. And I am just amazed at his immaturity. I just can't believe it. And, and, and he walks out of the room about five minutes or five seconds of awkward silence. And then the guy sitting next to him that I found out was his best friend. They'd been friends since they were kids name is Jim. Jim looks at me and he said, hey, Pastor Doug, he said, don't worry about that, man. He goes, this happens about once every four months. He said, Dell, who, by the way, was the wealthiest guy in the church, owned a huge construction company in that town, was used to people bowing down to him. He said, he said, Dell, he does this a lot because he had a bad day. He's got an anger problem. You know what it is? You know what it is? And he said this. He goes, it's his German." Well, I had never heard this phrase of it's his German. And, and, and then I, I'm just, what, German? What? And I'm no more than getting this in my mind. And the guy sitting next to Jim said, yeah, I've been on the board many times. He does this about once every six months. It's his German. Every guy in the room is nodding their head saying, yep, it's the German. It's the German. And then the pastor through his tears is like, yep, it's the German. And I'm thinking like, what is this problem you have with German people? I, I don't understand. <laughs> I like sauerkraut and brats. I like it all. I don't, I don't understand. And, and, and so finally I walked out of the room that night, and I, and I was frustrated, and I went home, and I got up the next morning, was driving to the office. My cell phone rings, and it's Dell on the other end. You know, people that have this issue, they calm down overnight. 
he said to me on the phone, he said, Pastor Doug, he said, uh, he said, you know, you're the best youth pastor we've ever had. He goes, I feel so bad about last night. He said, uh, he said, I'll tell you what, if you're going to resign from the church, don't do it. I'll just resign from the board. And now we're talking about people resigning. I don't, I, don't, I was like, I was like, well, how did we get to resigning? I said, I said, nobody's going to resign from anything, but could I come to your office? And he said, yeah. I went to his office and I sat down on his big leather couch. He's behind this huge desk. He's got this whole office building. And, and, and Dell is, he said to me, he said, Doug, he said, I just want to reiterate what I said on the phone. He goes, I'm so sorry about the way I acted. He goes, he goes I, I shouldn't have done that to you. I love, I love you and, and don't, want, don't want you to leave the church. He said, you know what it is? He said, it's my, anybody want to say it with me? German. German. And I had heard just about enough about this German thing at this point. And, and I don't know, Pastor Dave, if you've ever done this, but sometimes my mouth talks and my brain is not involved. Have you ever done that before? Like you're speaking, but it's like you're watching yourself say it. And all of a sudden that started happening. And I pointed at him and I was like, I was like, Dell, you know, last night I heard a lot about your German. And I got to be honest with you, I am sick to death of hearing about your German. Again, this guy's about 40 years older than me, makes about 100 times more money than I do. And I said, I, I am sick of your German. And then out of my mouth comes these words. I pointed at him and I said, you don't have a German problem. You've got a sin problem. The Bible calls your anger problem and your lack of self-control sin. And I, and I am sick to death, I for one, of people making excuses for your sin. You need to get right with God. That's what I said. And I sat back and I thought, where is my resume? <laughs> I, was like, I think I'm going to need it. <laughs> well, I could, I, I could kind of out of the corner of my eye see that he was getting mad. And, and, he, and he said to me, he goes, people don't talk to me that way. Well, at that point, I, I had nothing to lose. So I was like, I was like maybe they should. You know? <laughs> About 20 seconds of awkward silence. And then he, he said to me, he said, uh, he said, maybe they should. And he gets up from his desk and he walks around. I don't know if he's coming over to hit me or what. But he walks around his desk. And I'm telling you, I kid you not, one of the great moments in my young ministry. He, he doesn't come to me, but instead he kneels in front of the couch. And he looked at me and he said, would you get down here and pray with me about my sin problem? So we prayed for about five minutes about his anger about his sin. To be honest with you, I was probably a little too judgmental because I had my own issues. But we just prayed about his. At the end, I, he wiped away his tears, he hugged me, and I walked out. And the next month, he walks into the board meeting, kid you not, he's got my crumpled up proposal. He lays it down on the table, he puts a $10,000 check on top of my proposal, and he points at me before I have a chance to talk, and he said, this young man will get his bus. He said, if you either vote for it, or I'll write a check for it. That's what he said. And then we had the board meeting. Went really well. After the board meeting, after the board meeting, he walks up to me, hands me a personal check made out to me for $2,500. And I look at it, and I'm like, Dell, what is this for? You've already done the but What is this for? He said, this is for you. I just wanted to give this to you because I like you. I was like, I like you too. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you're an honorary family member. I mean, that's my price right there. You're invited to Christmas. I mean, I just like. 
Anybody wants to like me, I'll be in the back. <laughs> but uh, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say we've got a lot of excuses, don't we? About all these areas that we kind of keep around. And, and what I find is amazing is people that have this problem, often they end up in leadership. But, but yet they refuse to acknowledge some type of pet weakness that they have in their life. Now, now listen, get this in your spirit and I'm almost done. Listen, where in the Bible does it say that we're supposed to have some area of unredeemed weakness that follows us around for the rest of our life? You know what I call it? A false finish line, right? We, we say, we're done. No, we ain't even close to done. There's a whole area that you haven't even addressed, right? Jesus died so that you could be free. And the essence of a leader is this. He set me free. Now I've been given the keys to set other people free. But I, but I got news for you. If you're not free, you're not setting anybody free, right? This is why we've got to grow. And, and listen, don't expect that the church will ever go farther or deeper than what this room does. Right? I, I got news for you. The height of what God will do through Impact Church. I know not quite everybody here, but probably most of us are here. It's represented in the people that are in this room. If we don't grow deep, then we won't go high. Amen? If, there, if there's bad spirits operating in the church, listen, it won't be because some lost person came in the church and brought it. It'll be because the people in this room didn't deal with it. And it happens all over the place, doesn't it? In the, in the Bible, there's a story of a young man named Timothy. And the Bible goes out of its way to tell us that Timothy is struggling with some areas of growth, insecurity in particular. And yet he had this mentor, his name is the Apostle Paul. Most theologians believe that Timothy came from kind of a, of a messed up home. Either his dad had died or abandoned him. And, and Paul writes to Timothy... And he calls growth out of him. Why? Because he knows that if he can call growth out of his leader, that the leader will call growth out of everybody else, right? And if growth can go down from the leadership, well, then the church is going to grow in ways we can't imagine, right? If God wants to spread the church and he wants to grow it high, well, then the foundation of leadership has got to go deep, right? Listen to this, some of what Paul wrote Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He said, Timothy, I remember your genuine faith that you share first with your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I know that faith is strong in you. In other words, your faith goes back two, three generations. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that I gave you by the laying of hands. For God, I'm almost done, has not given a spirit of fear but, or, or, or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The best translation there is soundness of mind. Right thinking about yourself. Go to verse 13, 2 Timothy 1. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching. You have learned from me a pattern shaped by faith that you, uh, by, by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. You can just feel him urging growth out of Timothy. And then let me read you six more verses. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you. For you have heard me teach these things. And they've been conferred by many able witnesses. Now teach these truths to touch trustworthy people. Endure suffering along with good soldiers of Jesus Christ. He uses three illustrations. And then he says, athletes cannot win the prize unless they can be the rule. And then he says, a hardworking farmer should be the first to share the crop. Think of what I'm saying, God will give you insight in all these. Now listen, real quick, real quick. All right? 
Paul tells Timothy three things, essentially. First thing he tells him is that he has to realize that he has been marked. Because you are a leader, you're different than everybody else. The expectation is higher for you. You've got to realize you've been marked. And you've been marked in several ways. You've been marked by heritage. You've got a faith that goes back generations. Even if you are a first-generation Christian like me, we are grafted in the vine. Amen? I heard that Gabe's dad is a pastor. That's the first time I heard that today. Listen, I don't have a dad that's a pastor, but Gabe's spiritual heritage is my spiritual heritage because I have been grafted into the same vine that he is a part of. Amen? So in other words, there are past generations that are counting on me to grow and be the leader God's called me to be. He told Timothy, you've been marked by this anointing. Uh, another word for anointing that's used here is the word gift. Paul is telling Timothy, there's a gift that has been placed inside of you. And you've got to steward that. You've got to stir it up. He told Timothy, you've not been given a spirit of timidity or fear, but of love, power, self-discipline, soundness of mind. What is he doing? He's calling growth out of Timothy and saying, you are marked. You're different. You're a leader, right? Second thing is you've got to recognize your mentors. He told Timothy, he said, hold on to the pattern of faith that you have seen in me. Now, now listen. Here's what I see most people, even leaders, do. Don't follow me, follow Jesus, right? Because why? Because I'm going to let you down, because I'm not perfect. Jesus is perfect. And so therefore, follow Jesus, don't follow me. Can I just tell you, if you're a part of this room, you did not sign up for that philosophy. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. I don't believe he was saying to Timothy, I'm going to do it so well. That, that literally you're going to be able to see no mistakes. I think what he was saying is you're even going to learn from my mistakes. Because I'm going to be growing. I, I, you know, just like that, that whole insecurity illustration. Yeah, I had to grow through it. But it became something of authenticity in me. And now I've helped hundreds of, if not thousands of other people grow through it. Amen? It, it, Paul is telling, telling us. He's saying, listen, if you're going to be a leader then your life is not lived in a vacuum. You've got to recognize that if you're a part of this team, even if you're the one greeting somebody at the door, man, they see you coming out of the liquor station or whatever two days later, how many of you know that is their impression of Impact Church? Not the, not the service they experienced, not what's on the website, not how the pastor's living, but all of us, if we're going to sign up for this, we're saying it's not perfect, but it's authentic. Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen? Yeah. And then finally, the last one, and I'm done. Paul is telling Timothy that he has to revolutionize his, his attitude about what he is going through about suffering. He's telling Timothy that you've got to connect your pain to a purpose. Now listen, let me, let me illustrate this. And then Paul uses three illustrations. I'll explain. Okay. I, 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 I hate running. Is there anybody else in here that hates running? The best way to get me to run would be to put me in a dangerous situation. <laughs> if you want me to be a runner, then show up to my house every morning and threaten me in some way and make me run. Because then I would be running with a purpose. Now, I hate running because it, I just can't seem to connect it to my life, right? To my life and purpose. Okay? But here's the deal. What if, what if I was an athlete training for a race? Well, if I was an athlete training for the race, then the pain of running, I would have a completely different perspective about it, right? 
I would say if I don't push myself this morning, then how am I going to push myself later? Man, if I can't run through the pain now, then how am I going to run? How many you know when you connect your pain to a purpose, it changes everything? The Apostle Paul told Timothy this. He said, listen, here's the, here's the way I want you to grow. Here's the kind of leader I want you to be. I want you to think of it like you're a soldier. A soldier does what? When it gets tough, he says, well, it's no problem, man. It's getting tough, but, that, but, but, but the war, the battle, it's for a cause, right? I mean, if basic training is hard, it just means that I'm not going to break down when the bullets start flying. Right? He connects his pain. He said, I want you to be like a soldier. I want you to be like an athlete. I want you to be like a farmer. Already covered the athlete one. What is he saying with the farmer? What he's saying is, Timothy, when a farmer's out there in a the hot sun plowing the field, what is he thinking about? He's not thinking, man, I love being in the hot sun. He's thinking there's going to be a harvest. Right? So, so in other words... Your pain, everything that you go through, all the suffering, all the showing up at church three hours already set up, all that stuff. I mean, you know, it's for a purpose, amen? Yeah. So God is saying, listen, listen, I want you to revolutionize your attitude and recognize that you're a leader, right? And, and so when I go through stuff, I've got to tell you, here's the deal. Here, here's my deal I have made with God. I will go through pain. But every time I go through pain, you have to use it for your purpose. Yeah, Amen? So when I go through pain and the enemy is attacking me, I, I literally almost just want to say, you shouldn't do that because you know what's going to happen. You know, it's hard now, but a few months from now, I'm going to stick this in your gut. A few months from now, I'm going to use this to help people. A few months from now, this is going to process and it's going to come out. Listen, if you're a teacher or a preacher, the anointing comes from the way you process your pain. God wants you, as a leader, to say, I might be going through something. But the good news is I'm on a leadership team at a church and God's going to give me the ability to use that to help others. And it doesn't always have to be that you counsel somebody and you tell your story. Sometimes it just comes out in the brokenness that people feel coming out of you in a good way. Amen? You ever been around somebody you're like, I don't even know their story, but that person's been through something. Like you're, you're feeling their brokenness, but they processed it in the right way. So, so what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that you're a leader. And it ought to be different with you. Everybody else, they can go, well, okay, Sarah, Sarah, if I grow, that's good for me. If I don't, well, who am I hurting? No, no, you can't live in a bubble. Yeah. You don't have a choice in the matter. Amen? If, if not, and, I, and I'm not trying to lessen your leadership team, but if not, then why are you here? What, I, mean, I mean, really, what are you trying to pull? Yeah. Who are you trying to fool? You got to grow can't be a 98 percenter. You can't be a 85 percenter, right? Funny thing about my insecurity was I thought nobody saw it. How many of you know? You wear it like it's a t-shirt. One, one day when I was pastoring, I stood up for my staff and I thought I'd do this real heartfelt teaching where I would tell them my weaknesses. And when I got done telling them all my weaknesses, they yawned. Because it was like, yeah, yeah, we've known that for a while. Right. Why? Because you ain't fooling anybody. You're not fooling anybody. The only person you're fooling is yourself. But it's time to grow. Amen? So, Father, uh, tonight in this meeting, I just thank you for this group of leaders. I thank you that we've got to laugh, even though it's been some serious subjects.
And so, Lord, probably each one of us, you're, you're by your spirit because you're so faithful. You're pointing out our, our unresolved and unaddressed and unplanned for areas of, of weakness. Uh, probably many of us, Lord, we, we, we know there's some piles of dirt in our life and we've been choosing the victim card instead of picking up the shovel and deciding to grow. Probably for many of us, God, we've got our German. We, keep, we have people around us that they make, make excuses for us because we've just unaddressed these things. So, Lord, uh, in a sense, I would never make this comparison, but in a sense, let me be like a Paul speaking to Timothy's tonight. And I say, God, it's time to grow. It's time to grow. It's time to step up. It's time to be the leader that God meant for you to be. If we go, we want to go high. we got to grow deep. Thank you for this. Amen. Wow. Have you been uh, encouraged and challenged? Um, man, even me personally, it's time to grow. I don't want to be a 98 percenter. I want to be all in. And open myself up and say, God, if there's anything in me, then you show me. And let me deal with it so that I can be used how you desire for me to be used for the kingdom. Amen. I want to say thank you guys so much for coming. Make sure you let Doug know how much you appreciate him. Man, that was such a good word. That was such a good word. Make sure you let him know how much you appreciate him. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys in the morning. It's going to be an incredible day. And we're believing God's going to do big things, powerful things, incredible things. So I'm going to pray one more time for us, and then we'll let you guys go. God, we thank you once again for tonight, the opportunity to get together as a team and grow in some areas that we need to grow. God, I believe tonight that you have enlightened some areas in our lives individually that we need to grow. Lord, that you have challenged us to grow, to not stay where we are, to not be content with where we are, but say, God, I want to grow. I want to be all in. I want you to have every part of my life so that you can use every part of my life for your glory. God, I thank you again for every person that is gathered here tonight and even those that couldn't make it tonight. Lord, that give of their time and their energy and their treasure and everything else to serve you by serving people. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in our lives individually. Continue to make us better. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.